Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, last week, if you were here, I mentioned the year 1996. Um, you might remember in connection with my Ralph Lauren uh, shirt disaster. Um, I realized it was the same year that I actually uh, started to imitate someone's walk rather embarrassingly. Um, Graham Knight was the best rugby player in our university team. I desperately wanted to be like him. I went on a rugby tour with him and I found that I came back imitating his strut. He had this sort of very sort of cocky swagger strut and I started to imitate it. Not when he was around, that would have been very, very embarrassing, but when he wasn't. And I have friends to this day who are on the same Christian summer camp with me that summer. And to this day they say, do you remember that summer when Matt strutted around the camp as if he owned it? I mean, it's just so embarrassing. So embarrassing. I don't know why I tell you these things. I must be, I must be desperate for an illustration. Now, look, I guess you've never uh, imitated someone's walk like me. But I guess that there are people that you wish you were like, uh, maybe. Maybe you're here in Spectrum and there's that girl in the sixth form and you just, you just start to dress uh, like her, you want to be like her. Or the guy at work in the pay grade above you and you model your career uh, on his. Uh, Christians, verse one, are to imitate 
God our Father as his dearly loved children. Not in a sort of arrogant strut, but in a humble walk following God. The the start of the Bible says that God made humanity to, to imitate him, to image him forth in the world as his image bearers. Sin marred that, but now in Ephesians, God is creating a new humanity who are to image him forth again, who are to imitate him in this world. And so in Christ, we have a new self that we put on. We now are to live beautiful lives, full of light, full of love, imitating God, who is all of those things. And if you're some of you wouldn't call yourself a Christian this morning, you're, you're looking in. I hope that you'll see this morning that the Christian life is not just a negative life, don't do this, but a beautiful and a positive life. So we're in the second half of Ephesians, if you're joining us, Ephesians chapter 1 to 3, know God's plan. The plan is all things under Jesus Christ. We were dead, we're now alive, we've been included as one people, the church. Know God's plan. And that's really the engine for the car. That's the motivation for our Christian living. We know where we were. We know how good God has been to us. But it's not enough to have an engine and the car. You need to have a map. You need to know where you're going. And that's the second half of the book, chapters four to six. Live God's plan. And we're being told how to live in this. So um, chapter 4, verse 1, just open your Bibles, page 1176, chapter 4, verse, verse 1. We were urged to live a life worthy of the calling. We're to be who we are. You might remember a few weeks ago, Giles, with a, the sort of rugby shirt illustration. We're to live up to the shirt. And uh, we know that happens at the start of chapter 4 as we're taught God's word, as we're equipped with gifts by Jesus, as we grow as one body, verse 16. Verse 17, a couple of weeks ago, we, we saw that it involves a definite decision. No longer walk as we used to do, as the Gentiles do. Put that off. And now we move to the positive. Put that off, chapter 5, verse 1. We move from not like the Gentiles, Gentiles but like God, imitate him, walk like him, and in three particular areas, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. Let's come to each of those in turn, let's start with walk in love, and the headline of the section is verse one, be imitators of God, walking in love, and the standard for such love is set in verse two by how Christ loved us. He gave himself as a sacrifice. And of course, today on this Remembrance Sunday, we remember sacrifices of, uh, of human beings, men and women. But we remember too and are drawn towards in our hearts the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, the one who brings peace to this world. And that is described as a sweet aroma to God. Reminds us of uh, the Old Testament sacrifices, the burnt offering, which was a sort of sacrifice that went up and pleased God. And so our acts of love as Christians, they come up before God too in the same way. They please him. But they are very often sacrifices of, of love. And often love doesn't feel like, I feel like loving you. Sometimes we don't. We choose to love. We have to sacrifice what I want for others. And that's played out in three particular areas in these uh, verses, which are the opposite of love, which focus on me. They come up in verse 3 
and verse 5, they're repeated. The first of which we saw last week was sexual immorality. If you weren't here last week, we, we had a talk particularly on pornography. May I encourage you to listen to that if you weren't here? It's important for all of us and for our families. The second one is covetousness. It's a big thing in the Bible. Jesus speaks a huge amount about it. I'm aware that we need to preach uh, on this. Uh, greed with our material uh, life. But here I think in particular in view is coveting people. And in our imagination it's probably the same area as sexual immorality. And the third is impurity. Why do I think than just sexual immorality... Um, If sexual immorality was sort of eating mud and dirt, uh, then impurity would sort of be just playing around in the mud. We sort of say to the world, look, we we won't do the things that you do, but we're happy to watch and listen to you doing it or listen to you talking about it. And so there's lots on speech in in these verses about how we use our, our tongues. And of course, the Bible would say that godly joking, that's That's good. Laughter is a wonderful gift from God. When you just lose it and, and just get the giggles, it's just a great thing that God's invented. These are good things. But this rules out smuttiness, crude speech. You're just hearing every innuendo and every double meaning. And, and maybe that is the air that we breathe um, around the place with colleagues and you know, drinks after work. And Paul is worried that this is just going to be normalized among the saints, among the church. He's worried that we might get so used to laughing at stuff on, on the TV or in our, you know, the sitcoms that we watch or in YouTube that we might just think it's harmless fun and our standards get lowered and, and as a church family we just lower our standards too. Uncle Kevin DeYoung is an American pastor, preacher, writer. He writes a book called Holiness and commenting on this passage he he describes a scene when he was at theological college and a bunch of them got together to watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Maybe you've, uh, you've seen it. It's the one with Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. And there's a line in the film about halfway through where it, it just becomes clear that, um, that Dr. Jones Sr. and Dr. Jones Jr. have basically just slept with the same woman. And it's meant to be, a, it's presented as a comic moment. And Kevin DeYoung said most people in the room just sort of spontaneously, they just laughed. There was an older, respected student who just out loud said, guys, that, that's fornication and incest. That's, that's not actually funny. Kevin DeYoung said, um, most of us, to be honest, were pretty annoyed at his sermonizing, including me. But then he writes, the more I've thought about it, the more I think he was right. Actually, our standards can just be way too low. And it is tempting in church circles, isn't it? Maybe to look down on those who hold higher standards. We can think that the really mature are those who can sort of be Christian, but also sort of joke and play around with that sort of stuff. And Paul would say, well, look, if Jesus was in the room in some of our conversations, what would he think? And so we have this phrase here, it must not even be named. Must not even be named. I don't think that's sort of Harry Potter and Voldemort, you know, with that. You know, he who must not be named. I don't think it's that you can't name the word or use the word pornography or, or, or sex. We have to be completely prudish about it. Nor is it saying that if, you know, if we get it wrong in this area, then we won't be named. We'll be sort of you know, cancelled. But he is saying don't be naive. What we, 
what we listen to, what we watch, it shapes how we think, it shapes what we talk about. And so if, we, if we're continually online or reading glossy magazines that just draw us into every celebrity sex scandal, it will just fuel our curiosity. I mean, did, did he have an affair with her? Did, did she have an affair with her? It just, it just fuels our curiosity. and we, we follow every rabbit trail that there is on, online. So could it be that much of what we do to unwind is, is sort of playing in the mud? Maybe we become so used to it that it just makes us casual, vulnerable in the area of sin. Sin starts to look normal. Righteousness starts to look strange. And so look, Christians, Christians will, have different, will make different choices in this area. There is Christian liberty we have different consciences, but I think a good question is, are our consciences functioning as well as they could? Are, are they being educated by the Bible or just by the world? You know, do we need to just automatically fast forward the sex scene when it comes on? Just automatically, just, we just do that. Unsubscribe from that podcast that just deals in, in gutter humour. Be radical in our relationship with Facebook or social media or, or magazines. I think that's what's in view in the not even be, be named. We're given one word in these verses to counter all of that. Did you see it in, in verse 4? Let there be none of this, but instead let there be thanksgiving. One word to counter all of that, but what a powerful word. What a powerful antidote to all of that thanksgiving is. Our culture is telling us that we're... We're entitled to sexual fulfillment wherever we want. It's our right. And that God is bad. Thanksgiving undermines all of that, pulls the rug from underneath it. God is good. God gives us good gifts as an act of grace. And the more we thank him for the things that we have and, and grow in contentment, even with the things that, that he holds back from us, the, the more we'll make progress in walking in love. But if, if we won't hear the positive, then Paul will warn us with the seriousness of these things in verse 5. He says, anyone who lives with no restraint in this area, anyone unreservedly, unrepentantly pursuing this life will not go to heaven. That's just the words on the page say. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Will not go to heaven. And so the Bible is very clear that there really are just two paths in life. That there's the narrow path to heaven that the Christian walks on. And as we walk on that road, we fall. We fail. We come back to God for forgiveness time and again. And by his grace, we, we go again. We get up and we go on the same narrow path. The person who's not a Christian just walks on the wide path. Maybe they feel sordid. Maybe they feel they failed their own standards, but they don't repent and turn back to God. They stay on that path. And Jesus says, Paul says, that path is the path that leads to destruction. And if that is you, friend, Jesus calls you urgently to repent, to turn from the wide path of destruction to the narrow path. And he says in verse 6, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you about uh, this. Our culture says, don't worry, this sort of lifestyle, it's normal, but they are empty words. These are the very things that are bringing the wrath of God. Our world deceives us, and the tragedy, you know, at the moment is that the, 
Many of the bishops of the Church of England are deceiving us in this area as well, apart from, from 12, our Bishop Rob and, and Bishop Jonathan, we pray for them, are deceiving us, are saying that you know, sex outside of male and female marriage can be blessed and are leading many on the path of destruction. Please pray this week that the motion that's being put before Synod will be defeated on Wednesday. It's not hateful to call sin, sin, and to call people to turn from one road to the other. It's actually walking in love. So there's the first thing, says, says Paul. Walk in, in love. Secondly, walk in, in light. Verse 7. Therefore, do not associate with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Don't you associate, it doesn't mean don't hang out with them. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, if that was the case, we'd just have to leave the world. You've got to hang out with people. You've got to be friends with them. But the idea is don't be, don't be partners. Don't be associates. Don't, don't join in. Don't link up with. You may need to put distance in, in, in conversation or in, in, in church setups. You may need to, to do that. Because there is a massive difference between us. Because we're not the same as the world. Um, there are lots of befores and afters in the book of Ephesians. You, you were dead, you're now alive. You were alienated, you're now brought near and here. You were darkness, but now you're light. It's interesting, it doesn't say you were in the darkness, and now you're in the light. You were darkness, and now wonderfully you are light. Walk as children of light. Isn't that a lovely description of what a Christian is? Isn't that a lovely description? You are light in the Lord. The Christian life is a very positive one. We're to bring light and goodness wherever we are. And we are light that bears fruit in verse 9. Looks like a mixed metaphor, doesn't it? Light that bears fruit until you think about it. And of course, light does bring fruit. The sunlight creates ultimately fruit in plants as they bear fruit. Fruit. So our lives are meant to bear fruit. The, the Christian life is not just negative, but positive. So here's a picture from my, uh, my, my, our garden. Um, I've done what you're meant to do at this time of the year. I've put my garden to bed. Isn't that what your gardeners tell us to do? Put it, I've put it to bed. I've got rid of the weeds. I've, I've just sort of closed it down. Now, is that the aim of the garden, just to get rid of the weeds and put it? No, of course not. The aim is... What I'm hoping for next, which happened last year, that the flowers come up, the tulips come up, the fruit comes up. And that is the picture here. The Christian life is not just get rid of the weeds, put off, thou shalt not. No, no, no. It's a beautiful, it's a positive life. God wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to shine light into the dark world with all that is good and right and true. And so when we act kindly to that neighbour, we pick up the phone to see how they are. When we're honest to the teacher at school, we do what is right, we do what is good. When we hold on to Jesus, even though it's hard, we do what is true. And when we're not sure what to do, verse 10, we pray. We pray that God would help us to discern what pleases him in any and every situation. And verse 11, uh, verse 11 is again the negative part of this. Take, take no part in the unfruitful deeds, um, but rather expose them. I take it that doesn't mean expose to humiliate people. Not, not to become the sin police in our, in our office or our school. Not to be those sorts of people. 
but for a positive purpose. Now, look, there may be unethical practices at work or bullying or abuse that we need to actively expose for the sake of the week that would be included in this. Sometimes we might, you know, want to use some sharper words to help wake someone up. You know, are these one-night stands or the life choices that you're making, are they really satisfying you? We might want to expose in a loving way like that. But living positively as light will also expose the darkness. You know, when you treat the cleaner at work well, it reveals when everyone else just treats them as a slave. And you know their name and you, you're kind to them and interested in them. When you support that, that, that colleague or that neighbour who's having a hard time, when you stand up to the bully or the, the person who's awkward at school, it reveals the backstabbing and the gossip of everyone else. You see, and as Jesus shines through us, we expose the darkness around us. But actually, we can do more than expose the darkness. Verse 13, when anything, anything is exposed by the light, it can become visible. And it can actually become light, like us. So think about it. When you, when you go and you lift up a, a, you know, a log, you're out in the woods and you lift up a log to see what's underneath it. Of course, you expose the darkness. But also, the light immediately transforms the darkness into light. It's got two effects. And as we live as children of light, we can expose the darkness, but the longing is that others would become Christians, that they would become light. There's a really positive purpose in, in doing so, that the light would grow. And friends, that is the Christian life. It's a really positive, wonderful, beautiful life, spreading light and love everywhere we go this week, longing that the light of Jesus would grow wherever he puts us this week. And look, if you're looking in on the Christian life, aren't you drawn to this, aren't you drawn to this picture? Away from the darkness and the, the fruitless deeds to a life of fruitfulness and light. So secondly, walk in the light. And thirdly, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. The third use of walk is in verse 15. Walk in wisdom. Look carefully how you walk. And the idea behind careful is get an accurate picture of how your Christian walk is going. Are you living wisely or unwisely? Now the word behind making the best use of the time, it's a financial word. It means to redeem. Paul uses it in Galatians of where Jesus redeemed us, brought us back. So I think we're to think of time like a currency. In evil days, we can either use time and spend it on fruitless, dark deeds like the world, or we could redeem it. We could buy it back and invest it in good and eternal purposes. But to invest it, Paul says in verse 17 that we need to understand the will of God. If we don't, Christians can live foolish, unthinking, unfruitful lives. Understand the will of the Lord. Not just, um, should I take this job or you know, buy that house. Um, in Ephesians, four times we get it in chapter 1, the will of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 9, um, we're told the mystery of his will has been made clear. It's everything under Jesus Christ. That's God's big will. And so if we live wisely, we will build our lives around God's will. His will is to build up the church with diverse gifts. His will is that sleepers would come and trust in Jesus. So have we got God's will clear for our lives? 
It's the only plan and will that's going to last. We'd do well to live wisely under it. And so I think we're to be like traders or bargain hunters. I don't know if you watched uh, this program, Bargain Hunter, maybe a date of season 42, it tells me. Gosh, I wonder how many have seen a, a lot of those series. But you know, bargain hunt. You know, the, the plan is they've got to look around. They've got to get the best deal. And, and we're to do the same. We're to be bargain hunters with our time, looking around to get the best deal with our use of time. Some of us are really good. Some of you are traders. That is the job that you do. You're really good at it. Others of you on eBay, you're just fantastic. You can always hunt out the best deal. You're brilliant at it. And Paul is saying, well, take this into your Christian lives. He doesn't guilt trip us. He flips it around. He just doesn't want us to miss out on the opportunity that we could do with our time. And so for me, as we motivate each other in acts of service, I mean, I could say, look, if you're a Christian and Christchurch is your home, then it's normal to, to serve here. And we do sometimes say that. Maybe I could say that, you know, generally in churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and that's probably something of the case here. And some of us are flagging at the moment, and it would be brilliant if you'd step forward. And, and all of that would be true and reason enough. But Paul here woos us with the opportunity. And say, so let's just woo our hearts for a minute, maybe with a parable sort of based on Ephesians. So imagine we came at it this way. Once upon a time, there was a good king whose land was captured by an evil prince. And the people of that land followed the prince and were enslaved by him. Their time was his. They were forced into time sheets and dark and fruitless deeds and they became a divided individual people. But then the king sent his son to rescue that people. He joined them together into one united people and gave them gifts to serve him. And they were so grateful that they started buying time back from the evil prince. One minute, one hour at a time, they redeemed it. And they were so desperate that their time would not go to the evil prince and his fruitless deeds, propping up that old regime, but that their time would go to getting to know the good king and telling others about him. Paul says, verse 15, look carefully how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so what if some of the following happened at Christ Church Bromley? You know, Simon, uh, Simon you know, watched a lot of YouTube and social media. Yeah, it was good to relax. Yeah, that's, that's fine. But he realized he frittered a lot of time away on it and he decided to redeem some of it. Decided to learn a Bible verse instead. How about Steph? Steph used her commute to read a Christian book to, to get to know God. Sean, he focused on, on prayer with his time. He decided 10, 15 minutes every Tuesday lunchtime he'd pray for a non-Christian colleague that he could invite them to something at Christmas. He decided to come to the church prayer meeting. Sylvia, she started to think big. She wondered how she could use all of the rest of her life and her gifts for Jesus. What if the 200 people in this room, what if we all made one change for Jesus with our time, redeeming something for him? What could you do? Often we advertise at the front here, you know, the AV or children's uh, work. And, and maybe you hear that and you don't feel... Gifted. Maybe I could just mention one great opportunity here 
a few people here regularly tidy the church at the end of the week before Sunday. We need five or six more. You, you don't need great skill. You just need to use a duster. Have a servant heart. Do a menial task for Jesus. I wonder, could you join? Just every other week. Come for an hour. It's flexible. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Just get rid of some cobwebs. Change the soap. Blow some leaves out the front. And Paul would have come at it this way. Paul would say, honestly, this is an absolute bargain. If you're a bargain, this is an absolute, I mean, an hour every couple of weeks to serve Jesus and build up his church. Paul would say, what an opportunity. Let's lay it out before us that way. Email Debbie. Who's going to be the first to take that particular bargain that the Lord has put before us this week? Do you see how this works? The days are evil. Satan is the prince of the world. If we're savvy, there are some real bargains out there that we could buy time back for Jesus. There are some real bargains out there, friends. That's what Paul is saying. But if we want to waste, if we want a way to waste our time, well, verse 18, just get drunk. Just get drunk. Complete waste of time. Gives you a headache, leads to debauchery and regret, affects your witness. And look, it maybe some of us, you know, have an addiction and we need professional help but I suspect some of us are just too relaxed about this on Friday after work or at home and so at the office Christmas party be very careful how you walk much wiser says Paul not to be filled with wine but verse 18 to be filled with the spirit that's the sort of influence that we want to be under we want to be under the influence of that spirit says Paul that's how it works and in the context, I don't think charismatic views are, are in view. That would be for other Bible passages. Nor is this a sort of one-off second blessing that lifts us above other Christians. The, the verb is a continuous one. It's an ongoing work of God. I think what's in mind here is far more the, the daily prayer that we might have, asking that God, by his Spirit, would fill us. Fill us with his character. Fill us that we might know his love. Fill us that we might love others and do all of these things that we cannot do without him. And verse 19, it just has four marks of the spirit-filled Christians. We won't go them, through them in depth, but they're there. They're speaking or addressing, singing, thanking, submitting. So rather than foolish or crude talk in verse 4, we're to speak to each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I don't think that means that we're sort of like in the West End musical or the opera, you know, how are you? Very well, thank you. The Lord is my shepherd. I, shall not... I don't think it's quite that. But you know how encouraging it can be when someone sends you a Bible verse, don't you? Or they link a Spotify song to you when you're a bit down. You know how encouraging that is when they do that for you. Well, why not do that to them? And some of this will happen as we sing on Sunday in our gatherings. Both to each other, there's the horizontal but to the Lord, the vertical, some of it external, but from the heart as well. Now, I know that some of us here find, might find music hard. And so look at verse 20. The heart of it all, whether you like music or, or not, the heart of it all is something that we all can do. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in many ways, it's the, this is the culmination of the section. The culmination of the beautiful life is one that resists grumbling and thanks God. And so maybe it is time for us this week just to get out the piece of paper and just to write the 10 or the, the 20 things that we want to thank God for today that just turns our heart from grumbling and towards him. Count your blessings. Name them one by 
one, says the song, and then finally, submitting to one another. Submitting, having a spirit of humility before every other person. And so as we close, who are we going to imitate this week? God longs that we would image him forth in the world, in love, in light, in wisdom. In the coming weeks, we'll see three particular relationships we can do that in, in marriage and family and, and the work. And yeah, We'll fall short of that. We'll sin. But in the Lord's Supper, we will remember how Jesus didn't just talk the walk, talk the talk, but walked the walk. He lived a perfect life of love and light and wisdom. And as he walked into Jerusalem, he took that obedience to the cross for us. He paid for our failure and gave us his perfect status. And so now in him, by the power of the Spirit, let us live beautiful and fruitful positive lives, the lives to which God has called us. A moment of quiet and then we'll pray. Help us, our Father, to walk in love and light and wisdom this week in your strength. Help us to just make the most of the opportunities that you give us in these evil days with the bargains that there are out there for us to take, to serve you and redeem the time for good purposes, for the honour of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.